Hello, John Joseph Adams here, publisher of Nightmare, to introduce this bonus podcast. I recently had the honor and great pleasure of collaborating with Jordan Peele to edit the anthology Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror. If all of that wasn't enough to get you to go check out the book or audiobook, then listen to the story that follows. If it doesn't convince you, nothing will. So please enjoy The Most Strongest Obia Woman of the World by Nalo Hopkinson, read by Robin Miles, from the book Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror, available now from Random House and Random House Audio. To learn more, visit johnjosephadams.com slash OTS. The Most Strongest Obia Woman of the World by Nalo Hopkinson From the minute Yenderil jumped into that brackish blue hole water, she started out on a journey that could have no good end. She knew from the preacher's sermons every Sunday that hell was down below her feet. But down is the direction she was determined to go anyway, straight to perdition if she had to. For the beast she was hunting had to be a creation of the devils, so downwards was where she would find it. Yenderil had had to watch and wait for days until there was no one near enough to the blue hole to spy what she was up to. That was the thing about a Bosarasa small village so poor you could scarcely find two rock stones to rub together to make fire. Only a few hundred people living in Trent Wall, and everybody up into everybody's business. But today she finally had her chance. Truth to tell, though, in that moment of sinking into the saltish water, Yenderil wasn't studying her future any at all. She felt like she was all in pieces, couldn't hold herself together in her head. The sole case that was her body was feeling the wet splash of blue hole water rising up, rolling from her feet to her head top. How the water was cool and sky blue, but getting colder as she sank down from sky blue to indigo blue to navy blue, till it was blue-black like blood. But still she kept sinking down lower. It was so dark, she wasn't sure her yidem were open. Her lungs were studying how long they could let her keep holding her breath before they would open out like bellows and make her suck in whatever they could, be it life-giving, air- or death-dealing water. Her two-girl-child arms, young and strong as new branches, were studying whether to let go the boulder stone they were wrapped around, according to how the weight of it was pulling her down, blue-black down, and down her even farther to where girl-children with lungs instead of gills had no business finding themselves. Her skin was turning to goose flesh because of how cold the water was this far into the depths of the blue hole. She never knew say cold could burn like fire. Her eyes and her head were looking, looking, twisting her head as far round to either side as they could, seeing nothing but black. Her ears were trying to hear, but the only sound in that silence was Yenderil's own heart pounding on a ribcage, trying to find a way out to freedom come. The leather belt the Obia man had given her to clasp around her middle was thinking the only one thing a belt could think. Cinch, cinch, stay tight, my darling. The cutlass the Obia man had told her to slip into the belt was singing itself a song about chopping and cutting. And the knot in the hem of Yenderil's dress was studying one single thing keeping the dress close and decent around Yenderil's knees. For Yenderil was a good girl, rather died than expose herself even to the rotted devil she had come to kill. And Yenderil herself. She was only studying on finding the blue hole devil that had taken her mother and father and the family's one nanny goat with a sweep of its ten devil snake arms three years before. She wasn't paying no mind to what might come after. She had been living with no after for three years already. Three years before, in this space of four terrified Yenderil breaths, that blue hole devil had flung its long arms out of the water and made Yenderil an orphan, without even a she-goat to give her, 
and its kid warm milk to drink in the cool of morning. Yandwell had given the kid to the old beer man, since it now had no mom to nurse it, and he had agreed to train her in return, so she could get her own back at the fish devil. Three years later, as she dropped down in at that blue hole water this day, Yanderel was only studying the words of the obia man who had taught her how to make that fish devil dead. You have a slice that devil you hear me. You're going to be him beat, and that is how you will catch him. Wait till him grab you and hold you good. Then take out your cutlass and chop him anywhere you could reach. Chop the arms holding you till him let you go. Then follow him down and juke your cutlass into him. I juke it deep, you understand me. Deep into him brain. That will kill him dead. Some days, Yanderil wondered how he knew how to kill a devil. But he was an obia man. He knew plenty more than she. There, far down below Yanderil, a glowing flowering green of arms like aloe bush, ten of them reaching for her, getting long and long in for her, rising fast till she could see they were plenty longer than she. Her heart had found her throat whole and was trying to jump out that way. Her scared arms let go the boulder stone right away. The knot in her skirt was so frightened it expired. Slipped loose and then her skirt was billowing round her head and she couldn't see the green devil good. It came to Yanderil that what she was doing was pure foolishness and her lungs were burning. She tried to kick her way up to the surface quick, quick, quick to get away. But then the devil snatched her and held her fast. Its green arms wrapped around her like rope, and Yanderil realized one thing the Obia man hadn't told her. How to chop the devil if she couldn't get an arm free to reach for her cutlass. Squashed up close to her like that, the devil's flesh was like wet, clenching rubber. The side of Yanderil's face was pressed into it. Deep inside the soft, bright green, she could see black forms moving, linked together. Coils of gut, a pulsing heart bigger than her head. Two smaller hearts, too. Who could kill a thing with three hearts? The devil squeezed. Pressure built in Yanderil's chest and pushed upwards till she thought her head was going to burst. She couldn't help it. She opened her mouth to scream. She sucked water in, salt as sweat and cold as death. It burned down the back of her throat, and her whole body began to spasm, caught fast in glowing green. A bubble of air rising out of her mouth, the gasping, stopping, the pain feeling far away. The arms around her getting loose, holding her away from the body of the devil. Two eyes in its middle, big around as wagon wheels looking at her. And her floating in that endless black, legs kicking out. Whether head up or head down, she didn't know. And her fading, fading away as she reached weakly for the cutlass. Hold him good, Gregory. Her friend struggled to keep the insect still in the cage of his fingers. I'm afraid I break off a leg. That won't hurt it. It will still be able to fly. Yanderil worked the length of some of Ma's waist thread between Gregory's fingers around the middle of the piniwali. The steady green light in its body made it difficult to see what she was doing in the darkening day. It took her three tries while Gregory wriggled and tittered that the piniwali was tickling his hand. Finally, she had the knot tied. Good, she said to Gregory. Let him go. The Piniwali rose into the air, fluttering to get away. But Yanderil held fast to the other end of the string. The best the insect could manage was a few feet above their heads. Yanderil held her hand high, and she and Gregory wandered along the roadside at dusk, following the Piniwali's unblinking glow. 
the sun wasn't all the way down yet. The top of the peony wally's body glowed with it, while its underbeneath was dark, except for the light in its tail. Dust had painted red shoes on both her and Gregory's feet. Straggly jasmine bushes bracketing the roadside were releasing the perfume of their white flowers into the air. Trentwall village was laid out on their right. It ended in a low-walled cliff with the sea below. The waves crashed onto the beach and threw salt smell up into the air. On their left, the garden plots of the people of Trentwall village. Beyond those, bush, bamboo, ebony, live oak, and mahogany trees. And filling all the air, the croaking and scraping of thousands of little frogs and crickets calling out for wives for the night. Gregory? Yeah? What you going to do when you finish school? You mean four long years from now? Yeah. I think I'm going to make a card. Pick green coconuts every week from the trees on the beach down the cliff, load them into my cart and pull it into town. Borrow daddy's cutlass to cut them open with. Sell coconut water right from my cart to the town people. She could imagine him doing just that, running to town and back between the traces of his cart. It's a good idea. Your two brothers and a sister can help your mama and papa grow the cassava and breadfruit for market. So you could do something else. Yenderil grinned into the not-yet-dark. You going to need a donkey for your cart? Maybe I can afford one with the money I make from the coconuts. I can help you out there. You know what I'm going to do when school finish? Gregory stopped dead on the path. The Piniwali flitted above them in a sad, desperate circle. Not the Mandeville thing again, Yanderil. Yanderil grinned into the darkness. Of course. I going to Mandeville. More than that, I going to find the iron donkey and tame him for you, so you will have a donkey for the rest of your days, and you could pass it on to your children when you're too old to be a coconut cart man. <laughs> you mad to Ross. This is our life right here. This is real. It don't have to be. Old argument between the two of them. Plenty more out there in the world. We could see the golden table in Spanish town. Or the big ships coming into the docks over by Kingston. And you could come with me. Gregory shook his head. Yanderil, you know I'm not going to do that. You have nobody here to look after. I'm not free like you to just ups and go anywhere I want. Yenderil felt her blood heating up. She stopped and scowled at him. He said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't talk like that. From above, the Piniwali caught her eye. Never mind. They started walking again. She looked up at the Piniwali. What you think it could see from up there? He shrugged. Same as when we climbed the alligator pear tree outside your house. Houses, the road, the rum shop, the church, the sea. I know, she replied, irritated. But it must be different, not true? To see it and fly same time? To go fast, fast to what it could see in the distance? to fly up to the moon and back, even right out of Trentwall. I suppose. You want to go look for that dead hog we saw in the bush this morning? Yes, it was so stink. It had maggots moving under the skin. And it was swelled up big. Dare you to poke it with a stick? They turned off the road and into the bush. The Piniwali right away got snagged in a tree branch, and the Enderil had to leave it behind, fluttering in a circle around the branch. From the trail of its batty light, Yenderil could tell it was winding the piece of thread shorter and shorter. Choppy! You have to choppy! Yenderil had practiced with the cutlass all these years 
preparing for this day till the Obia man had told her she was strong enough. She knew what to do, so she must have done it, not true? In her almost drowned moments, she must have pulled out the cutlass from her belt and slashed at the blue hole devil. But after, she couldn't remember. Moving through the water again, gulping it in but not dying, not dying, not going to heaven to see my and pa. Not yet. Instead, moving through water that shifted from black to navy to indigo to sky blue. Going up. She broke through into the air, the pit of her belly heavy, coughed the water out of her lungs. Her legs didn't feel like hers, but she managed to kick herself through the water to the bank of the blue hole. She dragged herself out. The cutlass was long gone, sunk into the depth sometime during the battle. Had she killed the fish devil? Yenderil collapsed on the bank, not just from fatigue but because she was heavy now, so heavy, more than when she went into the water. But everything was all right now. She had killed it, no must. Then she looked down at her body. Yenderil walked, for she didn't know how long, stumbling. The left foot flopping, catching at rock stones, guinea grass, Brackish water dripping down from her hair, her dress. She dried off quick in the tropical heat, but dry skin felt wrong. The sun too bright, the heat too hot, sound too loud. On her yidem, trying to look every which way like she had never seen Trent Wall before. She passed one, two villagers. Some called out cheerfully to her, but then they looked at her leg and ran away. She found herself standing in front of the calabash tree at the edge of Auntie's plot. Then she was rubbing her cheek against the bark, surprised to find it rough. There were round green calabashes hanging from the trunk of the tree, like a big woman's bobbies. Why was she running her tongue on one? Why was she trying to bite into it? What was this weight upon her, dragging her down? She remembered where she was going, forced herself into a heavy, slow run. Light too bright, skin too hot. She reached her aunt's house, opened the door. A scream came from inside. Daddy Pa, the village's Obia man, was on his knees behind the hibiscus bush in his backyard, retching. Yenderil made a face at the sound. Same sound she had made when she first saw what the fish devil had done to her. She waited, sitting on the wooden dining table that Daddy Pa kept outside under the awning and kicking her legs over the side. The one good yenderil leg, barefooted with five little piggy toes. And the one new devil leg, fat and boneless and tall for so, taller more than her by two, three times. It had suckers on the backside of it. From the tip all the way up to high on her leg back, it kept curling around things, touching things. The table leg, Yenderil's hair, the plaits tangled now and coming down, her face. The table rocked a little bit, creaking with each swing of Yenderil's legs. The pavestones under it were cracked and uneven from the patches of grass pushing up between them. Daddy Pa's back was heaving. Yenderil could hear the splatter of his breakfast hitting the ground. She could smell the sourness of it, too. An interesting smell that would have made her feel sick a few days ago. Seemed like she could smell everything since coming up out of that blue hole. More interesting than Daddy Pa's spewed-up breakfast was the fleshy scent of the white hen in a wire cage on the table beside her. Yanderil's belly rumbled. The hen opened and closed its beak in the heat of the morning sun. Yanderil had rolled her dress up over her tummy, holding it against her chest with one hand so Daddy Park could see what had happened to her. Her devil leg filled out one leg of her drawers, pushing at the seams,
with her belly outside like that, she could watch Daddy Pa with her old yenderil eyes, and at the same time watch the chicken with her new devil eye. Made her dizzy, seeing two different things in different places like that. The table groaned. Before Yanderil could understand what was about to happen, the table sagged in the middle and snapped in two beneath her with a crack like a rifle shot. Yanderil landed hard on her bumble, the squawking chicken on its back in its cage on her lap. Out in the village, dogs had started barking at the sound of the table breaking. That one out by Mickle Road was the hoarse yelp of Mr. Pertwee's old red hound horse face. From down by Main Street came the quarrelsome yipping of Mr. Chong's two black and brown sister bitches. Yenderal didn't know their real names, or if they had real names. She and the other Pickneys just called them Ping and Pong. Ping and Pong and Mr. Chong, who sold dry goods the whole day long. Ma used to tell her not to sing that song, that it was wicked to make joke upon Mr. Chong. When he heard the table break, Daddy Pa leapt up from behind the hibiscus bush. He ran over, heavy on his feet, wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. He towered over her, smelling like vomit and grown man, smelling like supper. His big body blocked the sun and threw a cooling shadow over Yenderil. Get up, he said, and put your dress back down. Nobody want to see that. Yenderil smoothed the dress over the wriggling lumps on her belly, covering the devil eye with the fabric. The eye shut, or she shut it her own self, like shutting her own Yenderil eyes. She wasn't sure which, but now she could only see with the two Yenderil eyes in her face. Clucking and scolding, the chicken fought itself back onto its feet. Yenderil handed the chicken cage up to Daddy Pa when what she really wanted to do was rip the cage open for the sweet meat inside. Daddy Pa took the cage from her, still staring at the place on her belly that she'd covered up with her dress. What do you? he asked hoarsely. Oh, you end up like that. Horseface, Ping and Pong had stopped barking. The hen eyed her suspiciously. Daddy Pa had asked her a question. Yenderil replied, Is now your obia do this? I wanted to kill the devil, not stick it to me. Take it off me, please, Daddy Pa. His mouth dropped open. My obia? Is not me make this happen? But is you taught me to go after the devil? Only because you are forever bothering out my soul case about it. And, and that thing in the blue hole killed too much people and livestock in Trentwall already. I thought maybe if you could manage to get rid of it. Plus, to tell the gods truth, you give me your last kid goat. Your ma and pa gone. And you scarcely ten years old back then, without two quarties to rub together, eating yourself up with grief. I thought, say, coming on training with me might take your mind off it. He was babbling, different reasons coming out his mouth. He stuttered to a halt and stepped out of reach of her twitching devil leg. My too sorry, Yenderil. I didn't know you would really go and do it. He thought she was fool fool for believing him all this time. But he didn't deserve to die for that. With her hands and her good foot, she pressed down on the devil foot, still in it. It was like holding back a cow that didn't want to go where she were leading it. I'm sorry I break your table, she said. She didn't know how she was going to pay for a new one. Tears started to spring from her eyes, all three of them. A trail of eye water wormed down the front of her dress, her ongly dress, hem torn and coming down from her battle. But people saying I'm a devil now too, that I had no business in that blue hole. 
Auntie Mabel won't make me stay in her house anymore. She tell me I must go back and live in my old house. She say it's not for her sake, but I frightening a picnic them and her man. How I going to live, Daddy Pa? You must take this thing off me. Daddy Pa took a step back. His fear smelled like dog shit. But you don't even have a left leg no more. You don't see? You have a devil foot. It's part of you. How are you supposed to fix this? Fury blinded her. She reached out and pulled. Not with her arms, but with her devil leg. She hooked it around Daddy Pa's ankle and yanked his foot out from under him. With a yell, he crashed to the ground, crushing the hen cage under his solid self. Poor hen didn't even have time to squawk. In one quick movement, Yenderil pulled Daddy Pa close to her. He shook, his eyes staring wide and terrified into hers. She hadn't known she could frighten a grown man like that. But she was too vexed to wonder at it right now. You going to mend me? She growled at him. Or else. All right, all right. Daddy Pa babbled. I will do something to fix you. But, he swallowed bravely. How are you going to pay me? The fight went out of Yanderil. He hadn't demanded to be paid before this. I don't know. I don't have no money. The tears were coming again, and all she wanted to do was bend and lick up the chicken blood trickling over the broken pavement stones from under Daddy Pa's body. Hmm, was all Daddy Pa said. Yanderil made the devil foot let go his ankle. There was a space of silence between them, which time Yanderil smelled and heard the village more clear than ever before. Hot cassava scent of fresh bummy bread baking in coal pot from outside Mistress Cadogan's hut near the beach. That meant the fisherman had had a second catch that day, and she was making bummy to sell with fried fish. The shouting and taunting of boys upon the cliff a mile away, jumping or pushing each off the side into the sea below. Earthen smell of fresh-turned soil from the plots up on the hill, where people gossiped and sang as they tended their gongo peas, dashin, bananas. Daddy Pa cleared his throat. He sat up, scowled at the flattened cage and compressed hen inside it. He held the bloodied back of his shirt away from his body. He grunted. Going to owe me for the fowl too, and for my shirt. Oh, you, said Yenderil, so I can pay you back, little Mikkel? He nodded. Something so. He pushed himself to his feet, then held out a hand to help Yenderil up, watching her devil leg the whole time. She didn't take the hand. She remembered the length and thickness of the green arms coming for her inside the blue hole. She was wearing those arms on her belly now. Even though they'd smalled up themselves to fit, Yenderil was probably heavier plenty more than even Daddy Pa. She scrambled to her feet. Daddy Pa said, I will work an obia to clean the devil out of you. Come back tomorrow. I will have the obia ready for you. Tomorrow? So long? But she didn't have no choice. Yes, Daddy Pa. I could... Have the hen? He looked confused. What? I will pay you back, Daddy Pa. But I could please have the hen. I'm so hungry. Well, waste not, want not, I suppose. He picked the crushed cage up by one clean corner and held it out to her. Inside it, the hen was a mess of blood, bone, and feathers. She would likely make good soup. Yenderil agreed, but she had a feeling what she most wanted was to drink the still hot blood out from the raw hen. Daddy Pa saw her looking hungrily at the crushed chicken. He swallowed. Ah, uh, 
Why don't you go and fix yourself some supper with it? He suggested. Come by early tomorrow, four day morning. In the darkness before sunup, so nobody wouldn't see her. Yes, Daddy Pa. He watched her all the way to the gate of his compound. When she got around to the front of the house, Daddy Pa's grown son Stephen was out there, pretending to sweep the veranda steps with her coconut broom. But really he was staring at her on her devil foot. Yenderil wished horseflies would fly into his foolish open mouth. As she let herself out the gate, she saw one of the front jealousy windows on Daddy Pa's house slam shut. Next thing, the front door opened a mickle, and Daddy Pa's wife called out to her son, Stephen, you come inside this house this minute. Like her son was still some young pickney. Fear smell was blowing out of the woman's mouth too. Yenderil could taste it from all the way over by the front gate. She put her head down and made haste along the road that led to the bush, praying the whole while she wouldn't bump into anybody. She didn't intend to go home. Her belly was growling so loud in her ears, she almost feared the dogs would hear it and start barking again. Yes, she could pluck the hen and make soup with it, but her belly turned when she thought of eating cooked food. And she used to love chicken, too. She couldn't even give the smashed hen to Auntie Mabel. She was forbidden from going back into her aunt's house. She didn't reach all the way to the bush, only as far as her Aunt Mabel's gungo peas patch. The rankness of the raw hen flesh was making her mouth water. She managed to push her way in among the waist-high plants before hunger pangs dropped her to her knees, and she put the cage to her mouth and sucked salty porridge-thick blood from the chicken kyakas like she was sucking on a sweetie. She pried open one corner of the cage, stuck both hands inside, and pulled the body out. She gnawed on raw flesh, paying no mind to the feathers in her mouth. She swallowed them down and all. She slurped up slippery entrails full of half-digested matter and chewy, pea-tasting kidneys and fibrous gizzard. She sucked marrow out of bones. She spit out the cracked-open bones, together with claws and a beak. She belched. Her belly was clenching at what she'd just eaten, but she had never felt so satisfied by food in her life. No, not her. Wasn't she feeling that? There was another mind growing inside her head. Faint, but it had been getting louder. Yenderil could feel how restless it was. It wanted her to go and do something else, anything else. It didn't know what it wanted, something. Yenderil was weary to her bones. She sighed and dropped the cage right there so in the gungo peas patch on top of what was left of the hen. If somebody found all that nastiness and was frightened, then let them be frightened. She needed rest. She started on the road toward the bush. On the way, she passed Gregory's daddy, carrying a tied bundle of long sticks of sugar cane on his shoulders. He jumped when he saw her and cussed, then crossed himself for good measure. He put his head down and scurried on his ways. Yenderil realized that she hadn't wiped her mouth. There was a bright red ring of blood all around it. That and her twisty devil leg, and the wriggling lump on her belly under her dress, she must really look like the devil in truth. She could just imagine what Gregory's daddy would tell Gregory about her. But she didn't want to face her friend just yet. It was full dark now, cooler than the day, and blessedly restful on Yenderil's eyes. If she held up her dress so the fish devil could see, she had no problems walking in the dark. The fish devil liked darkness. She just prayed nobody would see her holding her dress up so scandalous. 
She climbed a live oak and wove some of its branches, still attached to the tree, into a nest. She climbed into it and lay in a crouch. The devil leg wrapped itself around her and wound its tip around the tree's trunk. Dimly, Yendero sensed the fish devil, noticing that the swish and switch of the night breeze were much like floating in its home's deep water. The creaking of frogs and crickets were like the underwater sounds, though much louder. All Yendere's eyes closed, and she slept. Yenderil had heard this story one evening when she went to fetch Pa from the rum shop. The men were drinking and talking old-time story. Seem a bounty hunter named Champagny had made the iron donkey long time back to help him find escaped slaves, more than fifty years ago, before the freedom times. He make it out of plate iron, held together with nails from the coffins of hanged black men, carved its jaws from the thigh bones of those men, put a terrible engine inside its chest to give it life and wits. The way the story go, once Champagny sicked the iron donkey on you, it would never cease chasing you till it sink its jaws into your flesh. But, said one of the men, I thought that Champagny man dead long time ago. The one telling the story replied, Ah, true, but he dead before he could shut down the iron donkey. It's still out there hunting down black people. Never mind we not slaves no more. Since then, Yenderil had been mad to go look for the iron donkey, take it apart to see how the engine inside worked. She wanted to find the golden table in the Rio Cobre in Spanish town. Did it really rise up to the surface at noon every day, float for seven seconds, then sink back down again? And she wanted to go to another country, in a real ship. She wanted to find a doppy and make the ghost talk to her. She wanted Gregory to come with her on her adventures, but he wanted to stay in Busarasa Trent Wall. Maybe she could get Daddy Pa to make some kind of a come-follow-me powder for her to put in Gregory's food. Gregory would enjoy traveling with her, if only she could get him out of Trent Wall. But first, she had to repay Daddy Pa for taking the fish devil off her. Then she would see. When Yenderil got to Daddy Pa's house early the next morning, son Stephen was putting a rickety little table out back to replace the one that Yenderil had broken. Then he and his mother peered at her and Daddy Pa through the half-closed back door, not even trying to pretend they were minding their own business. There was a short bench, too. Daddy Pa was sitting on it. So Yanderil stood beside the table in silence. The devil leg twitched back and forth. She let it. Let Daddy Pa remember what it could do. It was four-day morning, still dark. The sun was just beginning to leak bluing across the black sky. Breeze tickled a blessed coolness over Yanderil's skin. Even so, the devil kept trickling messages through their combined blood about being too hot. Quietly, Yenderil muttered, Go back home then, no? I would be happy to take you. In reply, the devil sent some rudeness that Yenderil couldn't understand. But it smelled like the kind of feisty thing a devil would probably say. Daddy Pa stood. Sit on the bench, he said. We nailed some more wood to it last night so it could hold you. Crickets squeaked in the darkness all around. On the table, the kerosene lamp flame danced to their music. Flame. The blue hole devil had never seen it before, flowing like water, but not water. Yandere refused the devil's urging her to stick her hand down the throat of the lamp to touch the pretty orange water. As she wouldn't, it kept trying to raise up the twisty devil foot to do the task. 
Yandril would push the foot back down before it reached more than a few inches. She must have looked impatient, or like she needed to wee-wee. Daddy Pa cleared his throat, and Yandril came back from contemplating the strangeness of fire. Tell me something, said Daddy Pa. That thing stick up onto you. If I took it with a knife, you would feel anything? She had already found out the answer to that. It would hurt, like if you'd doing it to me. Daddy Pa scrunched up his face at that thought. He looked at the ground for a second, sighed, looked up again. Yanderil, I have some things to try. I think I could take the face of that thing off your front, but I don't know what to do about the leg. It might have to stay that way. Hope sank into the pit of her stomach. But maybe with the face gone, the fish devil thoughts would stop. All right, Daddy Pa. He frowned. I want you to understand what could become of you. If I remove the devil face, the leg might stay healthy, or it might stop working, and then it would be just hanging there. Dragging after her, weighing her down, a spectacle everywhere she went. Daddy Pa's two eyes made four with hers. Hear me good now. It could be even worse. If the leg die, it could rot and pass the rot to you. It could kill you. We would have to send you to the hospital in town to amputate it before that could happen. So tell me true. You ready for all this? She wasn't. But I'm not going to stay this way, she said. Do it. Work your obia. Very well. First was the healing bath, with herbs floating in the water. It was Mommy Pa who washed Yanderil, with Daddy Pa standing outside the door and shouting hymns. The fish devil liked the bath. It kept drinking the water through its beak. Mommy Pa shuddered and wouldn't touch that part of Yanderil's belly. Jesus Lord, she whispered. She filled a small tin with the bathwater and poured it onto the fish devil from high up. She dried Yanderil off with her cloth, told her to put her drawers back on, and gave her a loose white flower sack dress to wear. Sent her back outside to Daddy Pa. Daddy Pa had three plates on the table, what looked like herbs mixed together in one, charcoal in another, and a kind of black oil in the third one. Some little twigs lying beside the plates, and a big sharp knife. When Yenderil see the knife, her breath catching her throat, Daddy Pa noticed. Going to smoke it, he told her, like a beehive. Make it sleepy so it don't feel anything. If it can't feel, you shouldn't feel either. Yanderil wasn't so sure, but she lay down on the bench like Daddy Pa showed her and pulled the robe up to expose the fish devil. Daddy Pa pulled back in surprise. It have skin like yours now? It can't change its skin. A war! I know some fish like that. He dipped one of the twigs in the oil, lit it from the fire under the coal pot. Black smoke started to pour out the end of the twig. He brought the smoky end close to the fish devil's face. Its eyes blinked. It thought the smoke was funny, that it was trying to look like something. Yanderil didn't understand what it was saying. Pretty soon, its eyes shut. It's sleeping, Daddy Pa asked. I think so. Pinch the devil leg for me, hard. She did. She didn't feel anything. Hope blossomed out through her body again. Daddy Pa picked up the knife and touched the tip of it against one edge of the devil fish face, between it and Yandril's skin. His hand was shaking. Anything? Nothing. 
Daddy Paw gulped and pushed in a little deeper. Yenderil wanted to shut her yaidem, but she wanted to see too. Daddy Pa said, Lord, help me and never do anything like this before. Lance a boil, yes. Sometimes even stitch up a deep cut. This is something else. Keep going. Yes. He began to saw the knife around the edge of the fish devil's face very gently. One stroke, two. A trickle of blood came out. He stopped, leaving the knife in. Anything? His voice squeaked at the end of the word. Nothing. I could feel the knife, but not the pain. Three strokes, four. Daddy Pa was saying the Lord's prayer, tripping over the words, but he continued cutting. Five strokes. Easy, he said. Just like getting an oyster out the shell. He didn't sound sure. Six strokes, and I, a stabbing, catching pain shot through Yandere's middle. Stop, she cried out. He stopped right away, but same time, a trickle of blood ran into the fish devil's free eye. The face shuddered, and Yanderil felt it all through her, right to the devil leg. It happened so fast. The fish devil's eye opened. It glared at Daddy Pa. A hole opened below and one side of its beak. A purple sticky juice flew out of the hole all over Daddy Pa's face and his knife hand. The devil leg pushed Yenderil off the bench and sent her flying through the air. She came crashing down onto her side a few yards away. Daddy Pa had dropped the knife. He was hissing, trying to wipe the purple juice out of his eyes. And his wife and son were rushing out the house to help him. They turned the bench back over and sat Daddy Pa on it. They got a damp cloth and wiped his face and hand. He kept saying he was all right, but he seemed confused. He asked if a snake bite him. Wife and son took him into the house. Stephen came back out with Yenderil's clothes. Go, he said, throwing the matter. Please. You going to be all right? Stephen pointed out the gate. We will see to him. Just please to go. Don't hurt us anymore. Yenderil didn't want to hurt them. She just wanted to be fixed. All right. As she stumbled along the path, her skin came out in goosebumps when a voice inside her, not like her own at all, said, I haven't had to do that trick in a very long time. It sounded pleased with itself. The fish devil was growing stronger inside her. She didn't want to go back into the bush again. She couldn't go to her aunt's. Sobbing, sneaking alongside paths so nobody wouldn't see her, she went to the only place she knew would let her in. In her parents' old home, there was a bucket of tepid water on the table. It was her aunt's bucket. Auntie must have brought it from the well for her. Some bami bread and aki on a plate beside it. Yenderil sat to eat on the corncob bed with its single thinning flower bag sheet she used to sleep on with Ma and Pa. For a while, that bed had slept for when Ma had added the baby brother who died before he had lived eleven weeks. She hadn't been in this house for years. It smelled of dry rot. She didn't know what she would do next. She'd cried out all her salt tears for the time being. At least she had breakfast. The yellow aki was buttery in her mouth like scrambled eggs, the bami chewy in the middle and crunchy on the outside. A new set of flavors for the fish devil. She felt its wonderment. She chewed and swallowed for a long time, cogitating. She addressed the fish devil. You going to punish me to death for trying to kill you? No, I'm not punishing you. The voice was hollow and deep, like a church bell ringing underwater. 
is not a punishment? No. So why you latch on to me then? Why you don't stay in the water with your own kind? I ate them. You ate your family? Your people? Why? Do you beings not do the same then? Is that why there are so many of you? What had she let into the world? Yenderil put the plate down beside her and wrapped her arms around herself to keep her shaking in. A true, she replied softly. We don't do that. How then do you gain knowledge? Do you all remain as ignorant as when you quit the egg case? I don't understand. Silence for a moment, as the fish devil shoved and kicked its way through her thoughts and her memories. Pa, finding five-year-old she in the backyard, trying to dig up her dead baby brother with a stick. She just wanted to see what he looked like under the ground and to ask him if he could breathe. Yenderil come in first in a maths test. She beat Gregory by two points. So to make him feel better, she climbed to the top of her auntie's Otaiti apple tree, where the bendy branches creaked and swayed with her weight. The sun was warmest there, the Otaiti fat and purple and tender. She picked two and brought them down for Gregory. They were bruised by the time she made it down to the ground. Their maroon skins were pulled back in places, staining the white flesh showing through. Gregory was still sulky, but pretty soon he smiled and took the apple dem from her and sucked them both down to the brown stone in the middle. She beat him in the next test, too, and the one after that. He got used to it, and pretty soon she didn't have to bring him presents afterwards anymore. Yanderil tried to mentally shove the fish devil out of her head where her private rememberings lived. Might as well try to boil the ocean with a match. After a few moments, it said, I see your way of it now. You don't respect each other enough to give of yourselves. The fish devil didn't understand anything at all. She had given her orphaned kid goat to Daddy Pa. She picked fruit for Gregory to make him feel better that she was smarter at maths than he was. The devil continued. My people were once plentiful in our ocean home. The waters slowly sank over millennia and left us stranded in what you call the blue hole. But we could live well there at first. There was food, and there were tunnels where we could spawn our young. We gave ourselves to the most gifted among us, as is our way. No overpopulation, and more knowledge consolidated in our wisers. Each of us who is eaten by another passes on its accumulated wisdom to its devourer. Until finally, only I, the most canny of our kind, was left. I have lived more than seven hundred orbits of that giant burning in the sky. I have consumed more thousands of my kind than I care to remember. I grew in wisdom and knowledge until I became a great, what you might call an obia woman. It was a woman then. The voice continued. Though the magic of that paltry being who tried to root you out from me does not come close to comparing to mine. My obia is how I was able to blend my compressed self with your body. Words, words, plenty big words Yenderil didn't care about. But she heard the one important thing in all this speak he spoke in. The fish devil had just told her for certain that it was the last one left in Trentwall's blue hole. She hadn't been sure. And she, Yenderil, had caught it down below where it lived, 
It was queen. Up here in the air, it didn't rule. Not yet. She couldn't eat it, though. It was already part of her. So you eat and eat till none left but you with all this wisdom? Yes, that is our way. So pleased with itself it sounded. What for? Explain, please. Here you are, all smart, with no one to pass it on to no more. The fish devil had nothing to say to that. It demanded some water from the bucket on the table. Yanderil went to dip some out. The dipper was touching her lips when she stopped dead in her tracks. The fish devil had a weakness. She knew how to fix its ras. She didn't drink any water from the bucket. In fact, she emptied the bucket out in the yard at the root of the scotch bonnet pepper bush. The fish devil grumbled. Yenderil ignored it. She went back inside. She closed the door. She made sure the jealousy window was shut tight. She put on every bit of clothes in the house, even Ma's good church dress and Pa's heavy canvas dungarees he wore when he went out with the fisherman. The fish devil regarded all this activity curiously. For a little while, it forgot about being too hot. It asked what she was doing. She was beginning to be able to understand it more clearly now. She didn't reply. She dragged the thin bed sheet from off the bed, kept it within reach. Then she knotted their heavy rope around her good uncle, tangled it into a bastard knot she would never be able to untie with just her fingers. She tied the other end around a leg of the table, messy and unloosenable same way. She wrapped herself in the bed sheet, lay on the wooden plank floor, and waited. And the hotness got hotter in the small one-room house. Yandere's mouth was parched. Just little water, whispered the devilfish. Go beg some from your aunt. You wouldn't even have to drink it. Just dip my leg into it. No, Yanderil whispered. We're staying right here, so. The devil leg started twitching towards the rope knot around her ankle. Yanderil set her mouth hard. No, I'm not going anywhere. Sweat was running down her forehead, griming her neck with salt, creeping into the crevices of her skin under all those clothes. She was a crab in a pot of boiling water, steaming inside its own shell. She caught herself, throwing off the bedsheet. No. She put the sheet back on and tied it around her middle. Hours went by. Maybe hours. Yenderil was dizzy with how dry she was. She was feeling cold now, but burning up. More time. The voice in her head sighed. I only wanted to know the world above and what was in it. I only wanted to know. It sounded faint. That's why you took my family? And all the others? Yes. I thought if I ate them, I would know them. But they couldn't tell me anything about the world of air. That's why I made myself a part of you. Please, let me. A weak, soundless scream, not hers. With a squelch, something at Yanderil's middle came unglued. She peeled away the layers of clothing to find the devilfish's face lying in her dress. Its wet jelly inside was facing her. Pink frills of flesh in it trembled. A tendril extended from its brain part into her navel. Yenderil wailed, snatched up the stink rotting thing and pulled, yelping at the answering tug inside her belly. She forced herself to keep a firm, steady force when she rather ripped the thing from her. She hissed with the pain, but kept at it until she pulled the whole length free, like pulling a carrot up out of the ground. She hoped it was the whole thing. There was something like a root 
at its end, stained with her blood. Sweating, she threw the face and its root from her and fell back, weeping with this soreness screaming from her belly. But she had no rest, no triumph yet, for the devil leg began to tear loose from her body. It had gone gray. It smelled like the latrines. It twitched and thrashed, and the agony deep inside her hip joint made her too crazed to think clearly. She tried to grasp it with her hands to pull it out of her, but it was dissolving into nastiness. There was nothing to get a good hold of. All she could do was move backwards away from it, using her elbows and good foot. It didn't come clear cleanly. It thinned, moving with her, till she had dragged herself, keening around most of the room. She kept thinking of the abandoned Pinawali, flying round and round the branch that had snagged it. The jelly trail got thinner and thinner. It was attracting flies. When finally there was no more of it melting out of her, she scuttled backwards to a corner and lay there, half propped up, keening softly. Pain was like a taste in her mouth, like chewing on rusty iron. It's done, said the voice in her head. It was fading. You've consumed me. Thank you for showing me the world above. Trent Wall? Here is not the whole world. It is to me. Blood and a clear, sticky liquid were leaking from the hole where the devil leg had been. I'll be gone soon. Your brain cannot absorb my knowledge. All that I have learned will be lost with me. But I have one gift. I can leave with you. The holes left in her were going numb. Her body, even though it was lighter now, felt heavy. Heavy as when she'd climbed out of the blue hole. She crumpled to one side. Her mind was full of smoke. Her eyes closed in blessed relief. When she awoke, her belly button had closed up. The remains of the fish devil were only two stink-smelling puddles melting into the floor all that was left of the face and the leg. In the heat of the room, they were drying up as she watched. The face puddle had a beak in it. And where the fish devil leg had been growing out of her, there was a floppy human leg, thin so, like a new ginger stalk when it first poked out from the ground. Yenderil pulled herself up to stand on the good leg, she tried to put her weight on the new one. It collapsed under her. It was not exactly long enough, and it was weak. She could feel bones inside it, but they were too bendy to hold her up. Was this the fish devil's gift, then? The new leg itched and itched. Yanderil got up again. She hopped over to the bed, gathering her clothes along the way. She got dressed using the bed for balance. When she was decent, she hopped over to the door and opened it. She knew the midday breeze that flowed in was hot enough to wilt the morning glory blossoms on the vines that were draped on fences and walls all over Trent Wall, but it felt cool as seawater as it flowed over her. She hopped and crawled around the yard till she found a stick she could lean on. By then, the new leg was the same length as the other, and she could almost walk with it. It came to Yenderil's mind that she had won. She had beat out the smartest Obia woman of the world. Didn't the fish devil call Trentwall the world, after all? She had freed her village, and the rest of the village would be grateful. The preacher, who had lost his two boys them to the blue hole devil, Liddy Turkle, widowed when the devil snatched her man down. All the picnic them whose parents used to beat them for their own good if they played too near the pretty water. No one would have to walk all the way to the standpipe three miles away and back to fetch water. And there would be good fishing in the blue hole again.
she could feel her lips pulling into a smile, like they had forgotten how and were slow to remember. Then she laughed quietly. What a story to tell Gregory. By the angle of the sun, he would be home from school in a few hours. But something made her stand still and ponder. Slowly she understood the fish devil's final lesson. Though she was nearly the old Yenderil again, everybody knew what had happened, and everybody was afraid of her. Yenderil now realized that, like the fish devil, her strongest nature was to get what she wanted, even if that meant pulling others out of their natural stations, causing them distress. A Piniwali? An Obiaman? Gregory? She set her mouth in defiance. Nothing wrong with wanting to learn, she said. So Pa had always said. But it wasn't the learning. It was what she was willing to do to get it. Trentwall didn't have no fish devil anymore. But if she didn't watch herself, she would take its place. A girl devil. Back inside the house. She tore a long strip from the bedsheet. She wrapped her mother's sewing needles and thread and heavy iron scissors inside it. She could hear the school bell ringing from the middle of the village, end of school for the day. She had to leave now. And she had to do it alone. She closed the door of her old home behind her. Her leg was already holding her better. She had a little bit of time before Gregory could run all this way. She set out for the road in the opposite direction from the school. Stomp, thump, old foot, new foot, every step leading her to a new life. The blue hole devil behind her, ahead of her, maybe the golden table, the iron donkey, the whooping boy riding his three-leg horse. She had beat the most strongest Obia woman of the world. Who knew what she would do next? This audio has been provided courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, from the book Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror, edited by Jordan Peele and John Joseph Adams, read by a full cast. The Most Strongest Obia Woman of the World is written by Nalo Hopkinson and read by Robin Miles. This story and audio production are copyright 2023 by Nalo Hopkinson and Penguin Random House, LLC. Thanks for listening. And now, back to our regularly scheduled nightmares.